In Session with Dr. Farid Hulaku. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dolaqui. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Dolaqui, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show, or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number, 310-441-0555. All right, before I begin, wanted to again announce the seminars I'll be doing in Atlanta, uh, August 10th and August 12th. So August 10th from 7 to 10 p.m., I'll do a seminar on dating and relationships. And then on Sunday, August 12th, 2 to 5 p.m., one seminar on success. And 6 to 9 p.m., a seminar on self-esteem and self-love. Those are August 10th and 12th. So if you're in the Atlanta area, would love to see you there. They'll be at the Persian Cultural Center of Atlanta. And tickets are available now online at www.kanoon.info, www.k-a-n-o-o-n.info. Hope to see you there August 10th and 12th. And I want to announce the book of the week for this week. It is Divine Balance by Mitra Avari. Uh, it is a book of fiction. I've not read many of them for the show, but wanted to do this one by a psychologist, actually, who I know and um, have been enjoying the book so far. It's my first time reading it, and I'm very fortunate that I'll be joined with uh, or by the author on Monday, next Monday's show. So instead of me just talking about the book, I'll get to have the author of the book with me, Dr. Mitra Avari. So looking forward to having her on the show Monday to talk about her book, Divine Balance. So I wanted to start off the show talking about how we treat people and how we allow people to treat us because people sometimes will say, well, what should we accept or not accept or how should we interact with someone if they treat us in a particular way um, that we don't like or is not fair or that hurts us. And it's usually not so simple. So imagine someone was giving you some kind of poison or putting something in your body that was bad for you. How would you react or respond if they were, in a way, poisoning you? Not killing you immediately, but doing something that would hurt you. Or if someone were not allowing you to do something that was your dream. For example, they said you can't go back to school or weren't letting you go back to school or change your job or even to work in general. Or if they weren't allowing you to see people, see friends make social connections or to date or be in a relationship and let yourself get close to people? What if someone wasn't allowing you to do that? Or if they were taking some of your money to use it in ways that were not very good or not allowing you to exercise or do things that were good for you to take care of yourself? What if someone was doing all of those things or any of those things to you? You'd probably be very mad. And understandably so, you would be 
mad, you would get mad at them. At some points, you maybe even would press charges against them for doing some of those things they were doing to you. And it would make sense for you to be mad that they were hurting you or holding you back in all those ways. And maybe you can follow where I'm going with this, but my point is that all of those things are things that we do to ourselves, things that we would never accept someone else to do or tolerate, or we would say it's unjust if someone was doing it to us or someone else, but there are all ways that we hurt ourselves or hold ourselves back in various ways all the time, every day. Because whatever it is, whatever goal, let's say, you want to achieve, whatever dreams or desires you have, uh, for the most part, the only thing that's stopping you is you. You're the only thing that's getting in the way. So when I was talking about poisoning, it sounds very dramatic, but almost everyone puts some type of substance into their body that is like a poison, whether it's cigarettes or smoking or alcohol or even the foods that you eat. They can be almost like poison to your body hurting you. But we do that to ourselves. If someone were to do that to us, say, I'm going to put this substance into your body, or if we found out some company was sneaking some, com- uh, some substance into our body, some chemical, we would be outraged and we would sue and all those things which would make sense for us to be angry. But yet we do it to ourselves every day. We do that all the time. And the thing that is also interesting, kind of related, but in a side note, when it comes to things like substances, is that it shows how much human beings or just in general organisms can adjust and adapt to things, sometimes for good and sometimes for bad. Because when you get addicted to something like cigarettes, you are putting in chemicals and things into your body that are very bad for you. But when you get addicted, the body feels that it needs those things. It can't live without them, or at least it can't live comfortably without them, which is interesting to think without a poison, you don't feel okay. And that's when addiction really gets powerful, is that you're putting this harmful thing into your body, but you feel like you can't survive without it. And it's really sad, but that's the truth. And I like to use this analogy because people do that in relationships too. They are sometimes with people or with someone who is hurting them and poisonous to them on an emotional level, toxic relationships. We use that term to say, in a way, it's poisonous to you emotionally and how they're treating you and how you're feeling. But the person can feel so addicted to them, so stuck in that relationship that if they were to separate from them, they would be so sad. And just like a drug addiction, the only thing that in that moment would take away that pain immediately is to be back with that person, unfortunately, to be back in that toxic space, in that toxic relationship. So there's those ways that we hurt ourselves that we do every day. And then also there's ways that I was talking about where we hold ourselves back. So if someone told you, you can't go to school or you can't find your dream job or go for your dream job, we'd be so mad at that person for limiting us. But yet we do that to ourselves all the time. We're afraid to take risks. We're afraid to push ourselves. We're afraid to see how far we can go by letting ourselves even fail if we have to, because we're going to push ourselves hard enough that Maybe things don't work out, but we don't allow ourselves to have those experiences. So very often, yes, people might be holding you back in different ways, but generally the person who's holding you back the most is yourself. You're the one that's getting in your own way. You're the one that's not allowing yourself to be as great as you can be to meet your 
potential. So we can look at the people around us and understand the influence they have. But we always have to come back and take that responsibility for our own lives. If I want something in my life, it's up to me to create it. Whether that's a relationship, whether that's um, your health or fitness, whether that's your career, whatever it is in your life, you're responsible to create that. And we should notice the ways that we hold ourselves back. Now, I say this recognizing that when you see that and you say, wow, all these ways I hold myself back, it's very easy to then beat yourself up about that. I can't believe I do this. I can't believe I don't do this. I can't believe I hold myself back or I hurt myself in these ways. And and we think we should punish ourselves. But that's another way of hurting ourselves that we don't need to do. So we can recognize and recognize that it's our responsibility and there's so many ways we haven't been responsible enough to ourself. But this is where the concept of self-love comes in. Because first of all, when we have self-love, we want to do the things that are good for us. We want to take care of ourselves. We want to not hurt ourselves. We want to give ourselves the things that we deserve to meet our potential. So a big part of self-love is self-care in this way, not just self-care as in getting a massage or those kinds of things, but actually taking care of yourself. But it's also about approaching yourself with a loving attitude, with compassion. So when you find that you're doing these things, or again, not doing certain things in your life that you can do, you want to approach that with compassion. Because at the end of the day, we also know no one is going to be perfect. So we can all know all the good things to do for ourselves and all the things that we can do, but we can't expect ourselves to be perfect. That's not realistic. We can have aspirations and ideals that we try to go towards, but know that we're not going to meet them perfectly. That doesn't make sense and that's not fair. And that'll be another way of being too hard on ourselves. another way that we're hurting ourselves way too much. But we recognize where we can grow and in a loving way say, you know what? I want to give that to myself if I want to be a certain way, if I want to act a certain way or have a certain type of life, it's up to me to give it to myself. So think about that for what happens in your life. Where are the areas where you are holding yourself back? Where are the areas where you are hurting yourself? Where are the areas that you don't even let yourself know what you want because you might be afraid to try to create those dreams into reality because of the challenges, because of the potential for failure? Where is it in your life that you're doing that? And related to that, look at where you're blaming other people. Because it's very easy for us to look at others that I want to do this, but he won't let me, she won't let me, my parents won't let me, uh, society won't let me, whatever else it might be. We look at people or things that are holding us back. And I definitely know that sometimes that is the case. Sometimes you have parents or things in society that do hold people back. So I'm not saying... Uh, It never is about those things and they have no effect. But we do want to look at making sure we do everything we can, everything that is in your control. So if they stop you 20%, well, you have to fill that 80% as much as you can or all the way. You have to make sure you do everything you can to get there. Genetically, you're predisposed to be an addict. That's tough. That might make it more likely that you become an addict. But now with that, it's up to you to work for yourself and to work hard to stay clean, to take care of yourself, to work on that addiction. We can't just say we're destined or doomed because of the genetic background that we were given. We could understand that as a factor, but the factor 
that is out of our control, we can't control, but the ones in our control, we want to do 100%. So we all can be much nicer to ourselves and realize that there's so many ways that we hurt ourselves in ways that we would never accept from someone else. We would never tolerate and we'd be so mad about. We have to take a very close look and an open look at what we're doing and what we're not doing in our life and lovingly realize that we owe it to ourselves, and it's up to us to give it to ourselves to create that life that we want. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 310441 You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, thanks for calling. Thank you. Um, so the reason I am calling is um, I wanted to ask you a few questions and get your advice on um, something that has come up with my 15-year-old son. Okay. Um, so I actually have called you uh, before um, and I have some questions about him. So he's got he's got ADHD and he's mm-hmm. got OCD, and um, as a result, he has a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and along with that, um, he's got he's got lack of social skills. So it's hard for him to make friends and uh, maintain him, and you know have like a healthy, uh, ongoing um, friendship. Um, so. And he's taking medication, mm-hmm. so he's, he takes Prozac, uh, like a 20 milligram uh, daily, and his psychiatrist actually gave him um, a medication which is for uh, depression, but it's uh, it's kind of a, uh, has a sleep effect, so because he's been having a hard time falling asleep, so he takes that at night. And he's been doing well with those medications. But um, because of lack of social skills, I actually thought it would be a good idea to sign him up with an overnight camp over the summer so uh, he could, you know, get out and be in the nature and be with kids his own age and so on. And But the thing is, when I first um, brought up the idea, he said yes, um, but now that it's getting closer to going to the camp, he is telling me that he's not interested, he doesn't want to go, um, and I, my question is, um, first of all, is this a good thing to do with his conditions, and uh, if so, how do I encourage him? Okay. Um, you know, so obviously your son is dealing with a lot of different issues and they're interrelated too, because even the, the ADHD, I'm not sure how he was tested for it, but, um, if you have OCD, you're going to obviously have issues with concentration that are going to come up too. So he could have both. It could be more the OCD, but nonetheless, those are very significant. And then lacking the social skills, that's going to be big because 
We know that one of the biggest buffers we have when it comes to our emotional health are our relationships. And so if he's having issues there, that's going to take away that buffer that he could have and that support that he could be getting through that. Um, so as far as the camp goes, it's not that the camp is a bad idea or a good idea, but we want to look at what he wants and what it means to him. And I do want to make a point, you know, you said he said yes, and then now he's saying he's not interested. And uh, not interested, we can hear that as lack of interest or he doesn't think he'll have fun, but more how I would definitely hear that is that I'm anxious about it. It's about anxiety. And this is actually a comment just in general. A lot of people, when they say they're bored, um, it could be that they are depressed or they're not someone who can have their own fun, but very often it comes from anxiety. A lot of people who have social anxiety will say, oh, I get bored at parties. And it's not about being bored. It's actually they get anxious and they either withdraw or the anxiety obviously doesn't feel good and they don't want to be there. But if you ask them, they'll say, I get bored or I'm not interested. But there's more going on. Sometimes they might not even be aware of it or sometimes they just say that uh, for us to, to, to not, maybe if they're, they're embarrassed to say that they're anxious. So I would hear him saying, I'm not interested as anxiety especially if he said yes before, and now that it's getting closer, he's uh, feeling that. So I definitely wouldn't want to push him or force him to go. And that's why even I would say from before you s sign him up for something like that, I would always make it a conversation with him. And knowing that he's probably going to say no to most things because he is uh, an anxious person. So if you tell him, do you want to do this, do you want to do that? He's probably going to say no most of the time. And we have to be ready for that. But I would make this a conversation with him about that. And on a side note, there's also things like social skills, trainings, and uh, support groups, and you know, workshops, and different things that I think would be good for you to look into. But again, talk with him about it. Because if you say, I signed you up for this class and you have to go, first of all, he, might, he won't like that. It doesn't give him the control and agency in his own life. And also, it can make him feel like he's the problem or he has a problem which is not going to feel good rather than he is dealing with something and he deserves to get help and he might want to get that help too. But if he's coming up with the idea, it's more likely he'll feel better about it and that he'll actually go through with it. So I'd make sure you have more conversations with him rather than saying, you know what, this is going to be good for him to develop social skills. Let's go. Because if he really doesn't want to go to the camp and you force him, first of all, he probably won't make much effort. And it could even be almost like a traumatizing thing that reinforces his social anxiety. It's, you know, being social is good, but it doesn't mean if you throw someone in a so social situation, that's going to make them more social. If anything, he might go there and feel more left out and rejected because everyone else is making friends and connecting and he's having a hard time. And then he feels even worse, you know? So I wouldn't just say the camp has to be good for him because he's going to be in a social environment. I see. But, um, no, I understand, and I think I completely agree with you because of the anxiety. He's just it's getting closer, and mm -hmm. he's just, mm -hmm. you know, it's really uh, becoming an issue for him. But if my thought is if he has never experienced this, and he doesn't know. So if he goes, maybe it'll be a fun experience. Mm -hmm. But again, I, I'm not sure. Uh, also, um, 
I did have a conversation with him, so he asked me, uh, "Is one of the activity? Can one of the activities be running?" I hmm. said, "I can definitely ask um, because they have a lot of different activities. I don't know if running is one of them." Um, and so I said, "I can make a call when we're together. You know, make a call and ask them." And he said, "Okay." Um, so I'm not quite sure where we're going with this. <laughs> okay. So clearly he's ambivalent, right? I mean, he has mixed feelings. So he's not 100% no or 100% yes, right? I mean, he's yes. he's showing you that he's kind of, you know, you brought it up and he said yes to it. It's getting closer. The anxiety is getting stronger. But even still, he's asking you questions about what I can maybe do at the camp that I, I might find enjoyable. And so we want to, you know, give him that and recognize he has this ambivalence. And we, as always, we want to try to understand his perspective. You know, he kind of gets that this can be good. He's maybe even excited about it at some level, but he's also anxious about it, about going away. Well, this this would, I'm assuming, be his first time at like a sleepaway camp? Yes. Okay. He told me, he said, oh, I'm going to miss you. Hmm. I said, well, uh, all the kids going to be with no parents there. So no, no parents going to be there. So I, I think that's very natural thing i'm going to miss you too good okay but then you're going to have you know a lot of things to do during the day so it's so i'm trying to paint it pick i'm trying to really tell him that this is i mean his life is not about me he needs to like get out and things and Right, and you're right about that, but also we want to hear when he's saying his life about you, I'm sure you're wonderful, but it's not just because like, he loves spending time with you so much that it's more fun than spending time with anyone else. It's that that's his comfort zone, and he yeah. gets anxious. So, yes, of course, we don't. I don't think for the rest of his life he should just be spending time with you. But we want to understand where that's coming from and not just say, well, you know, wanting to be around me doesn't make sense. And I'm glad you did at least say at one point in that conversation that, I'm going to miss you too, and it's understandable that you're going to miss me. It's his first time going away to sleepaway camp. We would expect him to miss you and be sad. And also missing you is not just about the missing you. It's that I won't have you as a comfort if I'm there and I get anxious or if I feel uncomfortable or whatever else. And he, no, he, he's dealing with OCD, and I maybe wanted to ask you about that too and how that shows itself. But that can be very difficult for him if he has certain rituals or things that he does that he's going to maybe have to do in front of other people or he'll have to not do them and that's going to create even more anxiety you know so there's a lot of things he's dealing with so let me ask you about that what how does his ocd manifest itself how does it show itself in his life so before he took medication he mm -hmm. would like stand in the shower for like three hours mm -hmm. until you know the water would run cold or his hands would start hurting uh, once he's on this medication, so those rituals are not there anymore. Okay, good. But he, yeah, but he, like, um, gets stuck on something in his head, and he mm. keeps, like, repeating that, or, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like, I, I try to help him, um, I'm like, okay, I think you said that. I heard you. Do you want to move on to something else? So I have to like kind of direct him or bring his attention to the fact that he's repeating himself or he, he's just saying or thinking the same thing over and over and over. Mm -hmm. So I think this is how it's 
now. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. It seems that the, the medication is helping, which is good. Um, but still, it's, it's there. And people with OCD, there's a lot of things that might be going on in their brain. But one of the things we see is that we all have thoughts and different things that come into our mind and we can switch to something else. Um, but for people with OCD, sometimes it's kind of like if you're at a movie theater and the same reel kept, keeps playing. They can't get off of that reel, whereas we could switch it and he might just find himself obsessed with one topic or one thought or one worry and then he he almost feels like he can't stop thinking about it and it's tough and so it's keeping in mind also that he's not trying to do this sometimes you know we'll say it's all in his head so he should just stop but yes it is all in his head and that something in his brain is working a little bit differently than it might be for for you and me and he's not trying to do those things he's actually suffering with those things so uh, we want to understand where he is coming from how long has he been on the medication since January. January. Okay, so it's six months, which is, you know, a, a good amount of time, but also kind of new at the same time because it takes sometimes about two months for them to kick in. But already it seems like they're helping, which is good. Um, so is he also going to therapy? You know, that's another thing. He does not want to go to therapy. Okay. So I, he, we went, this is another thing. So we start something and then he's like, I don't want to go anymore. So we switched like three, four therapists, and the last one he liked, and then one day he said, I don't want to go to him anymore. I said, why is that? He said, because he makes fun of me. Hmm. I said, uh, how does he make fun of you? Because we go together. He wants me in the session. Okay. So I sit in the session, and I... So this is another thing. He doesn't really... Um, pick up on social cues like he was kid the therapist was kind of like kidding with him but he took it as he's making fun of me now i want to ask more about that but just in some of what you're talking about is it possible he has some kind of asperger's or autism you know the psychiatrist told me he's under the um, spectrum under the spectrum, yeah. Yeah, because that's the feeling I'm getting because a lot of times uh, some of the things you're saying, even people with on the, on the spectrum can have lots of rituals and they really dislike change. So they there's some things that look like OCD and people with Asperger's or autism have poor social skills and defi- definitely bad at picking up social cues. Um, yeah. And then also they, they tend to take things very literally. So if someone yeah. is making a joke and most people would pick up on it's a joke or there's something playful about it or a play on words, your son might miss that, so he might miss the joke and just take it as a, a straight insult or, or, yes. or something like that. So it's possible he's dealing with that. Do you do you see that, that he might be, ha- be on the spectrum? Could you see that yourself? Um, I guess. I mean, I don't... I, don't, I mean, I don't know, um, but... Based on what you're telling me, and you know what the psychiatrist also said, he's yeah, yeah, he is. Because I've never experienced this before, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess it is. Yeah. Do you have other children? No. No, he's the only child. Okay. Yeah. I mean, what you're describing to me. Um, definitely, there's some signs of something like Asperger's because it seems like he can communicate well and they, you know, these diagnoses, they change them. And now Asperger's doesn't even 
have its own specific diagnosis. It's just part of the autism spectrum. But a lot of people would still say that, uh, you know, Asperger's is in a way different. And I think I, uh, from my observations with people, I see it that way too. But nonetheless, um, you know, some of it comes down to semantics and labeling. But it, it seems like he can communicate well. He, he does okay in school from what uh, we haven't talked about that, but you haven't brought that up. How is he doing academically? So up until seventh grade, he was doing fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, he uh, would get A, B, Cs, you know, he was fine. Uh, eighth grade, uh, things changed a lot, um, and he didn't want to go to school, so we had a lot of issues with school. Mm-hmm. He was being picked on at school. I was going to say, it's so, probably more social than academic. Absolutely. Yeah. So that really impacted his mm-hmm. academic, and he uh, said, I want to be homeschooled. So he is being homeschooled, but I, it's not really going that well. Um, yeah. So, you know, and he's not happy about that. He's telling yeah, me that, a, yeah. Yeah, that's a big issue that we need to look at because um, I get that if he's getting picked on, he would prefer homeschooling. And I'm not saying it's definitely the wrong thing. But we also don't want to reinforce the lack of social interaction that he's having because he needs to have that. And so we're at a commercial break, but because we, you know, we're looking at maybe the, this Asperger's angle of, of that he might be dealing with that, I think it's good for us to continue and we can maybe even come back to the, the camp situation. Just hang on line. Let's talk some more after the break, okay? Okay, thank you. Sure. All right, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Back before the break, we were with a caller. Let's go back to her now. Radio Hammer, are you still there? Hi. Yeah. Hi. Okay. So we we're talking about your son, fifteen-year-old uh, son, and uh, by the end of the last segment, we came to some thought that might be more Asperger's than ADHD and OCD that he is dealing with. Um, right. And, and that concerns me because the treatment would be different. The medication might still help the the Prozac, but we would especially want to focus on things like the social skills yes. and things of that nature. Now, I want to go back to, to what you said about the therapy because you were in the session and you said your son thought the therapist or said the therapist makes fun of me. Yes. Okay, so tell me what hap- What did you see and what did, what did your son say was him making fun of him? So, um, at this last session that we... Uh, went, the therapist, um, so my son didn't want to talk. He just kept, um, he would not say anything. He would just point at things. So, um, so the therapist said, um, he showed, he showed the clock and said, what is that? And then uh, my son would, you know, point at the time or outside, like it's 
daytime or whatever. So the, the therapist was trying to get him to, you know, get engaged in the conversation or somehow get involved. And after that, my son said, I don't want to go here anymore. And the reason I don't want to go here because he's just being silly and things like that. Hmm. So then at that time, he said, I don't want to go there anymore. And then he told me he makes me nervous. Okay. Well, well, and you can explore that some more with him and even let him know he can talk to the therapist about that, that that's something good for him to tell the therapist if that's how he feels about it. Um, So I I would continue that conversation. So you definitely want to listen to him. Uh, You know, he says, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. But we wouldn't always just want to immediately go to, okay, he said he doesn't want to do it. Let's end it there and not even talk about it. We want to make it a conversation. Okay, don't want to go to therapy anymore. Okay, so what happened? Oh, maybe you got you felt like he made fun of you. You get nervous. I, I can understand that. Then talk some more. Make it a conversation where you're trying to tell him, you know, well, maybe why it might be beneficial, why he might be feeling that way. Let's talk some more. Did he have any motivation himself to go to therapy to begin with? So at first, he didn't want to. Mm-hmm. And then I said, you know, it feels better. I'll sit in the session with you. Uh, and he said, okay. So he accepted that. And uh, before we go to the uh, session, I talked to the therapist um, on the phone and I told him, I said, don't jump out and ask him questions because he's going to say no. Just let him just watch. You and I talk, whatever. And then if he wants to chime in, he can talk. And that's how we started the session. Hmm. and he kind of got warmed up to it, and he would, you know, he would be interested. And then all of a sudden, he said, no more. Um, and that happens in a lot of different things. So I, you know, I took him to this social skills um, class. Okay, good. And he would go, and then after the third time, he said, I don't want to go. Because the teacher orders me around. Hmm. So it's really, I mean, I'm willing to do anything for him. Yeah. I just don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it, yeah, it's tough. And he, uh, you know, he gets discouraged, or not just discouraged, but he gets anxious. or He doesn't seem to like these things, and then he wants to give up, which we can understand. But again, he, back with the teacher, same thing I would say about the therapist. Like, you know what I think would be really good if you tell the teacher that. Because if to me, if it's a social skills uh, training class, it actually should be about also being assertive and expressing what you feel and what you want. So I would think the teacher could handle that if your son were to say, I feel like you're ordering me around. And so you want to give your son that, um, empower him to be assertive and to, to stand up for himself and to say mm-hmm. what he wants and to give him that space. So I would hear him out. So I, you know, when he says that, I'm sure your reaction could be like, well, it's the class. They're supposed to teach you. You're supposed to listen, which in a way makes sense. But I'd also want to more focus on, you know what? I, if you don't like that, then you're always allowed to tell anyone something you don't like, whether it's me, the teacher, whoever it might be. As long as we say things in a respectful way, we can right. let someone know how we feel. So, you know, to me, that would be actually another part of social skills training is that how to appropriately express how you feel or you disagree or if you're upset with something 
and to give him that. And especially with a therapist, because in therapy, whatever the issue is that the person is dealing with, we, you know, we always hope that the client is going to let the therapist know what they also don't like about therapy or what's going on. Or if they don't like something um, you said or didn't say or how you responded to them, that's important to talk about and work through. So I would encourage that. And I know he wanted you in there and maybe that was a, a way to get him in the room. But eventually we would hope he would have one-on-one space with yeah. the therapist. But he he's going to have to, we can't force that either. He's going to have to want that. How many times did he see the therapist? So we went, uh, let's say, last August until about January every week. Okay. So, yeah. And every time you were there? 30 times. Every time. He okay. does not want me to be out. Okay. And when you have you asked him why he wants you there? What does he say? He said that I don't feel comfortable. Okay. But I would ask him more about that. Is he scared of the therapist? That he's going to harm him in some way or say something really mean and he needs you to defend him? You know, I would explore. Anytime you ask him those things... If you can, try to go a little deeper with him. So what is it? Because comfort, because look, if your son has anxiety and social anxiety, he's going to feel uncomfortable in almost any situation that's social. So not to say that we don't care about that, but we're not going to take that as a huge indication that something is wrong. You know, if he says, I'm uncomfortable at the dinner party, I'm uncomfortable. So he's going to be uncomfortable probably almost anywhere where it's interacting with different people or new people or a lot of people, right? So, so, and it's not that, like I said, we don't want to say, well, who cares if you're uncomfortable, you're uncomfortable and everywhere we care and we want to listen to it. But we don't want to make that dictate everything just like with ourselves. Oh, you know, I'm uncomfortable about applying for this new job, so I'm not going to do it. No, if it's the right move for your career, even if you're uncomfortable, you should do it anyway. So we sometimes have to do things even if we are uncomfortable. Now you can always make that choice for yourself. You can't make that for him, but we want to at least give him the option and the opportunities to sometimes face his discomfort that he's okay with it. He decides, but we go ahead. You know, um, kids who are, for example, shy, even from a young age, the parents will deal with issues of them saying, I don't want to go to the birthday party every time. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And we never force them to go, but we don't also just say, okay, you don't want to go. You don't, we're never going to go. Um, but you let talk about it with them. You work with them about what they might feel, what's going to happen. And then if they do go, a lot of times what happens is the kid goes and they actually have a good time. And then the next time, the next week, they still might feel anxious again. And so you talk to them and say, you know, I remember I could see you're anxious and you're nervous about going and I can understand that. Do you remember last time we were going to go to that birthday party. You really didn't want to go before, remember? And then see if they can remember it. And then you say, and then you went and had a good time. And they say, yeah. I say, do you think this could be the same way? So there's ways you can try to talk to kids about the anxiety they're feeling, the discomfort, and to explore with them. Now your kid's a little bit older at 15, so it's might the conversation might be a little bit different. But the theme, in a way, is the same. That I'm sure there's been places that he's enjoyed himself that probably he was nervous before he went. And so we want to sometimes remind him of those experiences and to recognize, okay. as it is for all of us, that anxiety and feeling uncomfortable doesn't mean we should avoid whatever it is, because that's what anxiety does. It encourages us to get away from whatever it is we're anxious about. So you have to write a paper that's due next week. You're nervous about what you're going to write. If you're going to get a good grade, you feel anxiety. What that's going to push you to do is go check Instagram and Facebook and stop looking you know, at the paper. But it doesn't mean that's what we should do. So we want to also show him that he might feel these things and it's good for him to, to hear it and understand himself, but that he's not always going to just 
let that dictate his behavior because that's not going to help him because things like the the social skills training is very important and i think i would focus on making sure we get his diagnosis right um, I'm not so huge on diagnoses and making sure it's this and that all the time, but it is important for treatment and especially something like this because uh, we want to know what we're dealing with. And the more you talked, the more I got the feeling of Asperger's, but um, of course I'm not seeing him to evaluate him, so I'm not giving you a, a clear-cut diagnosis. But it's something definitely to consider, and especially since the psychiatrist had that impression also, I would take yeah. that seriously and, and think about really getting a handle of what we're dealing with. Because if he has Asperger's, if he's on the autism spectrum, social relationships and interactions are going to be really challenging for him. Um, like you said, he, he doesn't pick up the cues. And actually, let me ask you about that. How, how do you see that where he misses social cues? He misses that a lot. Okay. So give me some examples if you can. Someone says, um, if I tell him I am going to bed, mm-hmm. or yeah, I'm tired, I'm going to bed. So that means that I want to rest, I don't want to talk. But he just continues talking to me. Hmm. So, um, or, you know, with other people, same kind of thing. If somebody tells him, oh, I, I'm not interested or, you know, uh, or okay or, you know, doesn't want to talk, he continues talking to that person. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like it, it, definitely there's social cues there, but it's not just about, because sometimes when we talk about social cues, we mean things that are a little bit less clear. But there you're clearly communicating something, but it almost seems more like the the inflexibility or how rigid he can be in communicating that if he has wants to say something he feels like he has to say it or if he still wants to talk about something even if the person says i don't want to he can't respond to that so it's related to social cues and social skills for sure um but it to me those even sound more like just him not being able to to handle his own feelings or to control himself because you say i want to go to bed if you said if you told me i yawned and he misses that, that that might mean I'm tired. And I've seen that before with kids with Asperger's. That's a little bit different than you saying, I want to go to sleep now. That means, you know, but still he's maybe missing that there's, that means I don't want to talk anymore. Um, okay, so it does seem like he misses some of those social cues. Yeah. And that's going to make it hard for him to make friends and to communicate. Uh, does he tend to get obsessed with different, um, like, topics? Let's say some something he he gets into something and then that's all he can talk about does he have that tendency yes he does okay so like yeah that's also a big um sign of asperger's sometimes even as kids they'll call them little professors because they can talk they talk really well oftentimes and they can talk about one topic for like an hour uh, yeah. But they're very, they can be very inflexible about that. So if like they are obsessed with the planets, anything you say, they'll somehow bring it back to talking about the solar system and planets. Like you just can't exactly. talk about anything else. Yeah. So and that. Thinks, yeah. And he's um, so it has like a um, period. So like, right now, he's, all he's obsessed about is health. Mm-hmm. So eating healthy, doing healthy stuff. What's not healthy. What do I do to be healthy? And it's, but then it has 
a time period. It's kind of mm-hmm. like after a while, then he moves on to some yeah. another subject. Yeah, that's how it could tend to be. I, I've worked with kids, and like you know, they'll be obsessed with some scientist, and then everything is about that scientist. Then a month right. later, it's about dinosaurs, and they can only talk about dinosaurs. You know, so yes. it, it that it can change the obsession, but there is that inflexibility and rigidity that also again yes. makes it hard to build friendships because kids want to talk about other things or play and they just want to talk about one topic and they have an inflexibility of being like okay i can talk about something else with you so that we can build that friendship so the more you're talking the more i'm seeing signs of asperger's that i think i would take very seriously um social skills training is a big part of the treatment along with other things but i would find a psychiatrist uh who specializes and even a psychologist a therapist for him to see that is specializing in working with children on the spectrum so that they can you know again i want to hesitate to say that because i don't want to diagnose him over the phone as for sure having asperger's but there does seem to be some strong indication so i would look into that and then if that's the case make sure we tailor his his treatment and the services he gets towards that and a big part will be dealing with the social services and the social skills and we have to get understand that he's probably always going to struggle with uh communication and social interactions and making friends it'll be a challenge for him but there are ways we can support him to make that easier but it's like part of his brain just is not going to pick up on those things he can learn it a little bit but it's always going to be a little bit like thinking about something abstract that you've never thought about before you have to it takes some effort for us it's just very natural but for him it's just not going to naturally happen and we have to maybe accept that we want to support him the best way that we can. Right. Okay. Yeah. Now, as far as the um, camp. Yeah. So, uh, what's your advice or what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, I would, uh, you know, we want to be careful to not put him in a really tough situation because if he is the way he is that you're talking about, it, it might be that he goes to the camp and will feel rejected, unfortunately. Uh, maybe it won't be, but we have to be ready for that, that if he is a little bit different than the other kids and if he's going to have a hard time interacting with other kids, making friends, talking about things, joking around, doing all the things that you know these kids are doing, it, it might be just a place where he's going to get feel even worse. So overall, I like the idea of him going to a camp, but maybe he would be better at a camp that's for kids with Asperger's if, again, we, we find out that's the case. Because he's going to have a hard time fitting in, he might get made fun of or really felt feel rejected or left out in ways that are going to be hurtful. And we have to be aware of that possibility. So again, it's not just that he needs more socializing, throw him into a social situation. It could make it worse. So I would be aware of that factor. I don't know, you know, the, hopefully it's a camp where there's a lot of adult supervision and there's small numbers of kids to counselors or kids to adults but I, I would be a little bit you know concerned about what his experience is going to be like if he's at a camp where everyone else socially figures things out so smoothly and easily and he's going to be the odd man out it, it might not be a good experience for him so i would think about camps that are more geared towards him that might be better so even if he does have like if he's let's say obsessed with science you send him to a science camp or something like that you know that we give him an opportunity to make it a little bit easier to to facilitate that socialization because you know a typical sleepaway camp with typical kids who are 
typical teenagers, that's that's also yeah. a time where we see more of the teasing and the bullying and the making fun of. It happens in, as kids too, but definitely in the adolescent years, it can get a little bit heightened. And so, right. I, I would be I would think about that. That um, right. we don't we, we have to be careful what what situation we put him in. Got it. Yeah. All right. Um, well, thank you so sure, much. Sure, sure. Very nice talking to you. Best of luck yes, to you and your son. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. All right. Going into our next commercial break, studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Back, let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes, hello. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Wow. Thank you for having me. Uh, I just wanted to first thank you about uh, your show and your time and your dedication. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Um, I'm calling in regards to my younger sister. Uh-huh. And my question is specifically about the social emotional aspects of uh, becoming her uh, legal guardian. Um, okay. If I could give you a little bit about the demographic. Of yeah, her. please. About and how old are you? Uh, I'm about twenty-four. Okay. Um, and how old is she? Have, and she's fourteen. Fourteen. Okay. We have a bit about of a ten-year age difference. Mm-hmm. Um, we lost our mother about seven, eight years mm. ago. And um, because of our age difference, because of the trauma and the loss and all of that, uh, since then I kind of had like a motherly figure to her. Okay. Um, and she's also uh, uh, has added factors uh, to her. She has an IEP with the school uh, due to uh, physical impairments. Um, Physical? Yes. Okay, what kind of physical impairments does she have? Uh, It's more orthopedic and mobility-wise. And so she has a caregiver, uh, and uh, she has an aide at the school. And so uh, her mobility is particularly limited. Okay, did she have to be in either a wheelchair or have... Okay. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. how long has she had to be in a wheelchair? Uh, it's been about maybe five, six years now. Okay. And what's the issue that she's de- dealing with health-wise? Um, sorry, could you repeat that? What's, what's causing the disability? Is there a health, is there a, either a disease or something she's dealing with, illness? Yeah, the the disability in regard is in regards to genetics, um, and so it was uh, kind of passed down. To I her. see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, where is uh, your father in all of this? Exactly. Uh, after the loss of our mother, his wife, uh, his sister uh, really took on the motherly role uh, for the both of us. And uh, she tried to fulfill 
uh, as much as possible. And because of that, uh, because of my support, because of his sister's support, my dad really took a step back. And mm. so while he was always in the picture, he hadn't completely left, but he didn't maintain the roles and responsibilities of a parent. Okay. Really. Now, one can I also say one thing? Your voice is coming in a little bit muffled at times. I don't know if it's how you're speaking into the phone. Um but sometimes I can kind of hear what you're saying, but it comes in a little bit muffled. I'm sorry. That's Is okay. this better? That's a little bit better. Yes, thank you. Okay, thank you. so your father, you're saying he took a step back ever since uh, your mother passed and your aunt took on a big role, but also when it came to your own sister, you took on a motherly role too. Now, when you ta- say a step back, is he still living in the home? Uh, exactly uh, my next point. Mm-hmm. Um, I have... Uh, you know, decided to go into graduate school, and um, and so I have decided to move out from mm-hmm. my dad. And uh, my dad has been supportive with that in a sense, but uh, to the point where we're really debating on who my sister should live with. Mm. And um, it's really become a question uh for me and i don't know if i have the carelessness or or not carelessness selfless selflessness i'm sorry mm-hmm. uh to really take on this role because i'm thinking i'm still very young uh my opportunities are endless um and i really don't know if i want to take on you know guardianship of a teenager when yeah. the dad is still there Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, which, you know, led me to call you. And yeah. Well, so how is she doing in the home? Well, obviously you're concerned about her if you want to, to take her as, you know, be her legal guardian and to live with her. What are you worried about with her living in the home with your father? Um, like I said, because he doesn't really know how to parent. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not a bad person at all. Uh-huh. He actually has a very good heart, but he doesn't know how to parent. There aren't very uh, much of rules or boundaries or, you know, how to really uh, take care of a child's needs. Uh-huh. Um, and so at the same time, she's not very close to my dad because of, you know, him not uh, having those roles and responsibilities and she would really like to prefer to be living uh, with my aunt and I Hmm. Um, and so yeah uh, she doesn't do well with transitions at all Um, she has rages of anger and foul language Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of it I know is you know pertaining to her age you know, she's becoming of age, uh, teenagehood, and of all the trauma and experiences she's encountered. But at the same time, you know, we try so hard to maintain some sort of balance and stability and uh, security in the home. But it's becoming, you know, really difficult and a lot to handle. And um, I don't know how much more I can put myself through uh, before breaking, so... Uh, you, mean, you mean observing your sister in that home is leading you to feel like you're 
going to break? Yeah, yeah, because, you know, it's just, it's just a lot. Yeah. Well, that's, a, you know, you're definitely in a tough situation because um, you see your sister in such a tough spot. But, of course, you're 24 and you're in graduate school and need to focus on your life also. And uh, especially because your sister does have some special needs physically, I'm sure that would mean that it would be in more time intensive than, let's say, a 14-year-old who wasn't dealing with those things. So that that's tough, you know, that is really hard. Um, and you're saying that she's dealing with a lot of anger, which probably is about a lot of unresolved things. But from what you said, I know you said your father doesn't seem to lack the skills, the parenting skills, but are there specific ways you feel like he neglects her or he really hurts her? No, no, I don't think that it would be neglect. He just, he's never had the experience because... You know, we were always taken care of. He didn't have to worry about, you know, needs being met. I really do feel that if it were to the point where she was living with him, that he would be capable of of taking care of her. So right now he's not living with her? I missed that. No, no. Yeah, he's not living with her right now. We have recently uh, brought her with us, but... Who's us, you and your aunt? Yes. Okay, so right now it's you, your aunt, and your sister in the same home? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, you know, we were just discussing uh, uh, filing for legal guardianship and all of that, and I I don't know if I really want to do that. Mm-hmm. So what would be the benefit of that? What would you get from that? Of, of The legal guardianship, yeah. Um, it would just be in regards to school, in regards, you know, to the medical uh, care that she needs because they would allow us, you know, to be there. They wouldn't need the dad to be there. Us being there would be enough. And so in regards to scheduling and coordination and everything like that, it would just simplify things. Okay. So has that just led to issues of making things more complicated or has there ever been big disagreements of what your father was okay with and what you guys wanted for her. Right, exactly. Has that happened, the big disagreements, or it's just been more logistically complicated? Just complicated. Okay. Have you talked, has your father brought this up at all? Uh, we have brought it up together, definitely. Okay. Um, and he's, he's willing to take her. He's willing to take her because, uh, you know, it, it, she is uh, his daughter. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he wouldn't mind her uh, living with him. Okay. And what does your sister want? She doesn't want that at okay. all. At uh, all. Well, I, I would really, you know, um, want to respect what she wants. Now, she could possibly continue living with you guys and not file for the legal guardianship. Um that's that option is there too and i don't know exactly what's going to be the right one i definitely want her to be okay with whatever you choose i wouldn't want her to feel like her dad's giving her up in some way um it seems like she's already angry with him and maybe feels rejected by him at some level but then to make it in some ways legally official if she didn't want that i i wouldn't want that to happen so i would want to make sure she is 
involved with whatever is going on that we don't make the decision for her without her being okay with it and you know if your father is not really that involved and he's not hurting her i don't i don't know i'm a little bit torn because i don't feel like it's clear to me at least which which way to go um and you're you're also worried about what you'd have to take on related to that what do you think you'd have to take on additionally if you did take on the legal guardianship because you're saying at this time you are living with her yeah but you know doctor it's not just about the legal aspect it's also just about her living with us as well and just her needs and the additional needs that 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 she has because of you know, the situation so is it just about the legal part or is it you're also thinking should she live with her dad or live with you right and so okay. it's both yeah. Okay. So how are Sorry, things right now? That's okay. How are things right now living with her and your aunt? Um, you know, we we try to put in some some rules and and boundaries and she doesn't like following them mm-hmm. at all and she's constantly telling me that I don't want you to be my parent. Uh you're not my parent, you're my sister. Um and uh and um yeah yeah i mean that's another part that is that is uh tough uh, you know you're talking about do you want to take on a, a motherly role in some ways maybe you already have but we have to also look at from her side she doesn't want you to be she might not want you to be her mom either she might want you to be her sister so yeah. maybe she doesn't want that and it puts you in a tough spot because your dad is not picking up the slack as a parent and so you feel like you do have to play more of a maternal role to her. But we do want to still give her that space and also give you the space of being her sister and not her mom. Um, does your aunt play a, more of the motherly role than you do, or is it kind of you share it together? It's shared together. Okay. It's shared together. She definitely does do a lot, but in regards to decision-making, in regards to school, you know, in regards to uh, things outside the home we really try to decide together yeah. um of what's of what's best yeah and and i tell her you know listen i don't want to be your parent but when i have to do these things it kind of puts me in that position mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know yeah um, well i mean you guys are dealing with a tough situation there's it's not going to be easy no matter what because you're not going to neglect taking care of her in certain ways but I think you being 24 and living your life is also important. And so we don't want you to put your whole life on hold in order to take care of, of her either. What are you studying in grad school? Social work. Social. <laughs> I was going to say, you're either going into therapy or, yeah, social work would kind of be the same kind of thing. And that, that's kind of, that was my concern is that you can maybe be living your life too much for other people. <laughs> it was funny. I was like, you're going into psychology, right? But yeah, I guess social work would be almost along the same lines, even maybe more in a way of just, you know, managing other people's lives and taking care of them. But, you know, that my, that's my concern is you and your life and, and that do you have that space for you? Um, and I get it. Your sister's dealing with a lot and the whole family is dealing with things that you can't completely neglect, but you can't neglect yourself either. So I do have this concern about you taking on too much or taking too much of the the role 
as the mom and even your your sister is resisting it too so um it's tough because there is really no official parent and so you and your aunt are doing that but i think if you can let your aunt be more the mom than you I i would wish your dad would be more involved but if he's not either willing or capable to do it or to work on it because he can work on the parenting side but if he's not really picking up the slack if your aunt is okay with taking it on i would let her be more the parent and you get to be the 24 year old you focusing on um school and in your life and also just being aware that in general this might be a tendency for you of being more concerned with other people than with yourself and and that can be a problem so it can make you a great social worker but even that it can make you take on too much and lead to burnout and in your own life you might not you know be taking care of yourself enough and we don't we don't want that yeah yeah and and right now dad is dad is willing dad is willing to work and 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 uh be a better parent okay. but but the sister just doesn't budge you know she yeah. doesn't want to give him a second chance and I try to explain to her that, hey, listen, the fact that he's willing, you know, is a good sign. It is a good sign. It is a good sign. But I'm sure, you know, she's dealing with probably a lot of anger towards him and maybe unresolved grief about your mom. You know, there's a lot you guys are dealing with. So we want to give her that space that it's not so simple that now that he wants to try, everything else gets forgotten. You know, she's dealing with a lot just like you are. So I would be obviously be there for and help her. But, um, you know, I have this concern about you not being there enough for yourself that I really hope you take seriously and, and think about. You know, a book like The Drama of the Gifted Child, I don't know if you've read it before, but um, you have read it? Okay, but I could see you relating to that book. (laughs) I'm I'm calling you gifted, but as you know, in that book, gifted isn't like uh, you're good at piano or something. It it means that you're emotionally sensitive and maybe in too much, and then you're focused too much on other taking care of other people's feelings, but you can forget you. So let's make sure you don't forget you and take care of yourself. Um, as far as the legal guardianship goes, I, I'm not going to say yes or no, but I don't see, you know, some immediate need to, to make that happen. And, you know, I would talk to your sister about it. She doesn't want you to be her mom, it sounds like. So I don't know if it would be fair for you to just take on that role without her. It seems like you do like being the hero and the rescuer. And so we have to, to look at that. And I hope you, if you're not in your own therapy, that you go to your own therapy to explore this because this probably has deeper roots in it and it's worth looking at. No, uh, I, I am in uh, grief counseling. And, okay, good. Uh, you know what? I, I, I thought we would wrap it up there, but I do want to talk to you a little bit more. So hang on the line because we're at a commercial break and let's, let's talk a bit about you after the break, okay? Thank you so much. Sure. All right. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Before the break, I was with a caller. Let me go back to her now. Caller, are you still there? 
Yes. Okay. All right. So it is funny how things can work out sometimes that you called and we're focused on your sister. And then we maybe see that that is a way that you can live your life where you focus more on taking care of other people and maybe don't think about yourself as much. And so that's why I did want us to have some time to focus on you and how you're doing uh, to not reinforce that tendency that you might have. Um, so tell me a bit about what you're going through. And you said you are going through your own therapy or your own grief therapy. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, when I started graduate school, uh, I noticed a shift in me. Um, I don't know why or how exactly, but I didn't feel like myself anymore. I couldn't take a regular uh, conversation without uh, either being extremely angry or uh, breaking down into tears. And it had gotten to the point where it was really difficult to continue graduate school. So uh, luckily I got referred to this wonderful grief therapist and I started working with them uh, in late February, early March. And that has helped tremendously. Good. Okay. So you just started a few months ago. Yes. Okay. And so it's grief therapy, but it's one-on-one therapy? Yeah. Good. Okay. Well, I hope that that's that you'll keep going and you'll find that helpful. Um, and also, you know, because you went into social work and you're studying oftentimes emotional issues or things that are in that way heavy, they could have been bringing up some of your own feelings. And sometimes, I don't know, if you've had classes like this, you'll be asked to reflect on yourself or to, to look at your own emotional experiences or makeup or trauma or whatever else it might be so maybe that did trigger some things for you yeah it was absolutely that they designed the program in which they uh break you down but then they want to build you back up (laughs) yeah well hopefully that's an interesting way of putting it breaking you down i hope it didn't feel like that but i think you know there definitely is a lot of value to anyone who's going to be either a therapist or a social worker to really be aware and in touch with their own feelings and their own issues, their own biases in different ways, and then to work through those too um, so that they are aware of them. Because if if you don't unconsciously or consciously, it's going to affect how you're going to work with people. So maybe you had been avoiding a lot of your feelings and issues, and then this forced you to face them, and it, it wasn't easy. It sounds like it was definitely challenging for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, because of the situation, you know, you described that you've taken on this motherly role. Did you feel like you got the opportunity to grieve the loss of your mother? No. Mm-hmm. Um, I was relatively young myself. I was, uh, you know, in my late teens mm-hmm. uh, when my mother passed. Yeah. And so I always kept myself busy, but I never really gave myself the opportunity to grieve. Um <laughs> And, well, you um, may be also, on top of not giving yourself the opportunity, it, it seems like there wasn't the right emotional support around you t- to give you that opportunity. Um, potentially. I mean, my aunt has always been there. Okay. Um, um, from day one, I think the reason why I've gotten this far and, and done everything that I've done and, uh, was because of her support. Um, and, uh, dad wasn't much of a dad to me either, so mm. um, it might have been that. 
Well, I'm glad you've, you had her. It seems like she, she's been very valuable both to you and your sister. But um, the issues with your father go from before your mother's passing, it sounds like. So you, you definitely there's a lot for you as well there. Oh, yeah. What's Absolutely. your relationship like with him now? I'm beginning to accept that he's not a bad person. He just didn't know how to parent. Mm -hmm. um, we can't hold a genuine conversation for a long time. We can talk about, you know, the weather and the traffic and everything that's not very personal. But when it gets down to personal matters about us, about the family, we uh, don't see eye to eye uh, that easily. So. Mm. I see. What, what was your What was your mother like? Um, my mother was very protective hmm. of me. My mother was very protective of me, and and she uh, did everything around the house. So she was a homemaker, and my dad likes to say that they had this deal where he was the breadwinner, and she was a homemaker, and you know, and yeah. So she, he was the breadwinner. She was the bread maker, kind of in the home. Um, yeah. But, but you know, it's interesting. You use that word protector, because it made me think of how you want to be your sister's guardian. Um, maybe it's also because you didn't just lose your mom. You lost your protector. You lost your guardian, the person that was taking care of you and protecting you. And so maybe you want to give that to your sister because it's something that also you feel like you're missing in a lot of ways i do and in a lot of ways uh you know that's why i'm i'm really considering you know this decision and i'm putting a lot of a lot of thought into it because i know how much she's already been through and i and i you know don't want to damage her quote-unquote even more mm -hmm. um well that's the part i, I you know in talking when we talked about it, I, I didn't quite get how she was being damaged by not having the guardianship situation and also why it would be better for it to be you rather than your aunt. I'm honestly not sure that uh, my aunt would be uh, willing to accept guardianship. That um, okay. uh, not something that we talked about. I thought that I would do it uh, since, you know, I'm more involved with her school and, and you know, with the appointments and whatnot. Um, hmm. so. I see. Well, that, I just wanted to make sure that, again, it wasn't something about you losing your guardian wanting to give that to someone because it was something you were missing um, in yourself. And, you know, that that obviously wouldn't make it the right reason to do it, but it does seem like there's some legitimate reasons there that you have for that. How is school going for you? How have you done so far? It's great. I absolutely love what I do 90% of the time. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a good percentage. Okay. Yeah, you know, anything, I'm glad you even said that because I, I, you know, a lot of people, when you talk about finding your dream job or your passion and the career you want to do, no matter what career you find, you're not going to enjoy every moment 100% of the time. There's going to be parts to the job that you don't like 
parts that you dislike a lot even, but it's that overall you really like what you're doing. So sometimes people, they think, well, it's not my dream job because I don't like this part of it, but that doesn't necessarily mean you don't like it. You might, it's not your dream job or your passion. It just means anything you do, there's going to be usually some logistical things or issues that you have to deal with that you might not enjoy. So that's okay. And plus right now you're still in school, so it's a very different situation. Uh, you know, you're going to obviously not like sometimes writing a paper or doing certain work they're going to ask you to do, but that's part of getting the degree that you want to get to then do the work you'd like to do. Right. So what would you like to do as far as, have you thought about what you want to do after school? Uh, I'm leaning more towards uh, medical social work. Okay. Uh, but I'm also, I'm very interested in uh politics and the legal aspect and uh so that's always an opportunity okay and in medical does maybe a related question does your sister have a social worker uh no she doesn't okay i don't know if that if she needs one or if she you know i don't know how serious her situation is but since you said medical i just made a connection because it seems like that's things She's dealing with medical things as well, so I don't know if there's something there, but um, that's great. And I'm sure you can do great work as a social worker. I should maybe say it even differently. I'm sure you can be a great social worker. My concern for you would be more about take, you know, taking care of yourself, being your, a social worker to yourself also and, and, right. and taking that. Because I can relate to you, and I've seen so many other therapists and different people in the mental health field who this can be their big issue is that they're so used to taking care of other people or it's such a comfortable role to take care of other people and they can do it at their own expense unfortunately and it could even feel right to them it feels good as far as it's their comfort zone and we know that our comfort zones they feel good to us but they leave us hurt very often and unfulfilled unsatisfied and unhappy in our lives so i wouldn't i would want that's my big concern for you bigger picture is that even in your career and then in your own personal life, that life becomes too much about other people and how that's going to take a toll on you. Yeah, exactly. And because of, of, of being a new graduate student that has barely gotten through, you know, the first year and, and experiencing uh, all the emotional uh, feelings and, and all the um, anxiety that mm-hmm. it has caused um, having to take care of so much um, I'm just a bit anxious yeah of having to do you know the same things juggling and balancing things and, and being in graduate school and yeah so. well and that's why you know you know when it comes to taking care of yourself, and being your sister's legal guardian, I'm not saying you definitely should not do it, but I'd want to make sure you are not sacrificing yourself for something that maybe won't make too much of a difference um, for your sister, to be honest, if, if everything is still okay. I get that there's some logistical things that come up, but it might not be beneficial. And I'd want to make sure she gets to have a big say in what happens as far as where she lives and also the guardianship situation. And that you have a big say in that, that even if she said i want you if you thought it wasn't right for you that you were would be okay saying no because i i I can imagine that being hard for you and being a new graduate student is tough i hope they've talked to you guys about all the different things that new graduate students can feel one of the big ones is 
like I forgot what they call it, but it's like that basically you're a phony. A lot of people, when they go to graduate school, they think everyone else is supposed to be there, but not them. Everyone else seems so competent or knowledgeable or aware. And there's this feeling that if they just only knew how little I know or how unqualified I am, they'd kick me out of here. And it's almost every graduate student at some point has that thought or not just even for a moment, for a period of time. So if you have that thought, you, it, the good news is you're wrong. Um, you're supposed to be right where you are and keep on going. But uh, there's a lot to deal with because you have the clinical aspects that are probably going to come up in your work that are going to bring up a lot of feelings, um, even in school, and, and then the hard work it takes to, to finish your degree. So like I said, for me, the biggest thing is, yes, your sister, of course, I get the feeling of responsibility you have because of the, the family dynamics and situation, but you have to make sure that you never get forgotten in all of that and that you're taking care of yourself and meeting all your responsibilities, making sure you're okay. You know, you don't need to, to suffer or sacrifice for anyone else. Right. And personally, because of doing so in the past, I am not as willing to do it anymore. Okay, good. Um, especially because I, I consider all the career opportunities and everything I want to accomplish, and it'll be a lot different if, you know, I'm responsible uh, for someone else. Yeah, absolutely. That That's definitely something to consider. And again, how much w more will you be doing for her? You know, she might be okay without you taking on that role and maybe, and that could be okay. So I hope yeah. you will keep that in mind and the decision you make and keep going to your therapy and working on yourself and best of luck to you in school. And I look forward to being colleagues with you in the near future. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Have a great day. Take care. Good luck. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. So I will be signing off a little bit early today because after the commercial break, we will have a segment from family and divorce lawyer Adam Maludi. So that will be after the break. Lawyer Adam Maludi will be talking to you. Um, so that's the end of my show for today. The book of the week, again, is Divine Balance by Dr. Mitra, Mitra Avari, and I'll be joined by the author on Monday night's show. Very much looking forward to that. All right, to thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Raman here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalakwi. Have a wonderful day. Mm -hmm.